Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Mystery Day. Mystery date, Tom McHugh, played by Ethan Hawke, is smitten with Gina, a girl in his neighborhood, played by Terry Polo, but he doesn't have the courage to talk to her. His older brother Craig, played by Brian McNamara, intervenes and sets him up with his clothes, his wallet, his car, and unbeknownst to Tom, a whole lot of people who are hunting Craig down. Screenplay by Parker Bennett and Terry Runty, directed by Jonathan Wax, and released on August 16, 1991. Have you seen Mystery Date before? No, I have not. I, that's surprising to me. I've not seen it. <laughs> um, okay, every time this movie is like brought up or I see it, I always think of the Bruce Willis movie Blind Date. Sure, yeah. Or like, I keep thinking it's this. Or, or I also think of like About Last Night or, you know, like... I feel none, like... I've, I've seen none of those either. Oh, but they all have, like, similar titles to you? Or, or I just assumed they had similar premises, where it's just, like, a date where wacky hijinks happen. I think Blind Date did. That's why I thought it was this. No, I don't know. I just... Yeah. No, I've not seen this movie. Okay. And it's also probably important to understand that, like, this title is also the name of a very popular board game. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with that at all. It's not like someone's going around and choosing from a whole bunch of different people. That would have been interesting. Yeah, More if they could have found a way to adapt that, that might have been fun. Um, instead, we get this, which has a lot of, like, I don't know, misogyny. It has a lot of talking down. Uh, it has a lot of... Uh, comedic moments that aren't comedic this is like frisky business like it wants to be like a risky business it's another one i haven't seen oh fuck. i'm (laughs) I'm trying to think well i'm trying to think of another movie where this is just like pulling certain tropes from like it's giving me like almost wants to be like a ferris buellery type of a deal but like with a mistaken identity I get yeah, but sort I'm of, thinking but risky really business, even. even though you've never. Yeah, but do you know that's like, probably an apt comparison? And I just have no idea. Well, you know how like, okay, Tom Cruise. I mean, you know. I only it's, know the the song. Scene. Okay, that's all. So I his know parent, about. like you know, he's like a teenager, and his parents leave for like a week or some shit. Right. And now he's, like, home alone and can do whatever the fuck he wants. That's what I thought this was going to be. <laughs> but it turns into just him going on this date that his brother made him go on. 
to yeah. be like an alibi for him. Yeah, uh, well, and here's the good thing about the movie, I guess, is like pretty soon throughout the movie, we learn that Tom's brother Craig is a total asshole and he's playing Tom in order to give himself an alibi because he is doing some shady criminal underground stuff with the Chinese mob. And. I'm glad they didn't hide that until the end, that it kind of like came to light very early on because it was started to become obvious pretty early on to me that Craig is not what he seems to be. And, you know, just him saying, yeah, you should wear my suit. Here, take my wallet. Here, yeah, take my stuff. Get your haircut. Yeah, like, yeah. get your haircut to look like me. You know, all these different things. Like, Even it, though it, he... It, does not look like his brother. Yeah, that's one of the main problems of the movie. And like I everyone have, is thinking like everyone when he, thinks that Ethan Hawke is his the brother. older brother Craig yeah. Brian McNamara, and they do not look alike. No, there's even Ethan Hawke even says, "Yes, I don't even look like my brother." Which yeah. that made that was the only time I laughed. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. He was like, I don't know. He's like, I don't even look like my brother. Why does everyone think I'm my brother? Yeah, because he, he's wearing the clothes. He has the car. He even, like, was given glasses to match Craig's, too, and the haircut. But face-wise... No. No, clearly... Even, like, when Clearly he's being, quite a bit younger, like, a few years younger. Yeah, he's being confronted, like, by women that have been wronged by his yeah, brother. Yeah, who have been intimate with the brother. Yeah, they and they're, and they're like, Craig, ew. And they, they're like, he, Tom gets, like, punched in the face, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. almost immediately. Yeah, so it starts off, like, sort of innocently in that, you know, like, well, they go to a restaurant and he comes across some, like, waitresses and other women who don't like him, and so he tries to leave because he's like... This seems like a bad scene. Everyone's mistaking me for Craig in a negative way. Let's just get out of here. And, he's and then always, it gets into like the more criminal aspects. Yeah, of things. he's always going to places that his brother hangs out at. Yes. So um, I mean, yeah, he's gonna get I mean, confused with his brother. The the first time, the restaurant is someone is one that Craig gave to him, to say, you know. You should go here for your date. That was yeah. the alibi. That was intended to be the alibi. When he leaves there, he has to get gas, and that's when the whole thing starts to unravel because he notices the body in the trunk. The detective who trailed the car that he wasn't supposed to take, but he did, probably because of the body in the car, discovers the body. There's some wacky hijinks mishap, and the detective gets killed, and so now there's two bodies in the trunk. Yeah. It's, there's, I know I kind of glossed, glossed over a lot there, but... I mean, okay, the movie, we should just, the movie begins with just Ethan Hawke at the beach. I still, I know where it's, this movie is filmed. Oh, I don't, yeah, we didn't look, or I didn't look. It, oh. it was filmed in Vancouver, um, Canada. Okay. But. But we don't know where it's supposed to take place, specifically. I thought it was California, but. You know, definitely the, not California because Craig is supposed to be in California and he drove all this way yeah, with his DeSoto. And his parents are going to Connecticut because their dog Napoleon is in like some dog, some dog show, show. Yeah. <laughs> like best in show situation. Yeah, and let's just say right now, like, <laughs> this is obviously a worse even Hawk movie because in this movie he doesn't like the dog <laughs> that he's paired up with as opposed uh, to like White Fang. Where well, he's, I know, think the dog doesn't like friend. him, that's also true. But still. In turn, he doesn't like the dog. Yeah. 
But yeah, he's at the beach and he's like, he's been following. This is like where it's, it's not. It's tough okay. to tell if he's been following her or if he just. He says he just happened to see this mystery girl at the beach. The one okay, that I thought he at. was. But I mean, he's been looking through the window in a telescope, and she's literally next door. That's what it seems like. But, but then, like when he goes to pick her up, he's like driving around the neighborhood, and then like, and then like, so is he pretending to not live right next door, and he just like actually drives around the block and then picks her up that's where i was a little confused too because unless his telescope can go through houses or there's no <laughs> other houses like in between yeah like can go crop through street because it literally looked like she was a neighbor litter yeah. like next door yeah so i don't that's whatever <laughs> don't spy on people <laughs> don't, don't use your telescope this is like people. i don't know but this was like a thing in like this has a lot of bad like 80s 90s dating advice type of yeah shit. don't be like following some fucking girl around because you have a crush on her and then like making her go out with you because you've been following her for x amount of days months years don't I don't know. <laughs> don't pour through their trash to find clues to use to your advantage when and, calling that person either. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's another thing that happens she is they like go through the trash. She, like, seemed fine with it. She didn't know that they were going through the trash, but she se- for, for whatever reason, because of plot, I guess, she seemed fine with just being cold called by some random person that she does not know at all and agreeing and going to on a date with a date based off of all these things that this person had learned and seemed to have been clearly stalking her. Yeah. The way the conversation was going. Like, you know, Craig is pretending to be Tom on the phone and, and trying to play it off as, like, a charming act of, like, you know, Greta, uh, uh, Greta you know, Gina, <laughs> you really shouldn't be stalking me because I saw you at this place, this place, and this place, and people are going to start talking. Mm-hmm. And, like, like that clearly insinuates her. that, yeah, you, you may have been stalking her, so... You know, don't, don't do that. <laughs> so, um, and like all other little innocuous comments that are not so, like, what do women like to do the most? And Tom's response is, buy shoes. And yeah, then, so and the brother's like, like, no, talk. They love to talk the most. So both answers, shit, but <laughs> <laughs> for different yeah. reasons. So I don't know. There's terrible people all around this movie. I mean, that's sort of the point. Um, what I found to be kind of disappointing in a way is that Gina just went along with everything and that she was basically yeah, she into seemed, it all. So she, okay, her character reminded me of Meryl Streep in Defending Your Life. She was just like, yeah, I'm up for anything. Yeah, definitely. Like, I'm cool with whatever. I'm down for whatever. Just take me... Like, she wasn't even... Except the difference Except for maybe when she finally got, like, kidnapped, and she's like, okay, I'm not into this. Yeah, but 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 even then, she's like, you know, kidnapping... You know, kidnapping is illegal, and you probably shouldn't be doing it. Like, that's basically, like, her way to get out of it. Right. Is trying to convince this mob leader that kidnapping's bad, you know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) nothing against terry polo as an actress at all it's her character the way it was written is unfortunate like she does the best that she can but she's basically just like a teehee type of a person and 
doesn't get to have much of her own character because she's literally along for the ride. Mm-hmm. She doesn't get to have much input as to as to what's happening. She's just basically there to say, "Hey, Tom, what the heck is happening?" And then even when Tom like tells her the truth, she's like, "Oh man, that sucks that your brother is like trying to do this whole thing. Let's go raid his apartment." Right. Like she's way too accepting of the whole thing, and also assuming that Tom is telling the truth. When Tom she's is not... explaining that Craig is the one who's sort of behind all this on accident. Yeah, she's not, like, really question. Well, she is questioning, but she's still... It isn't until, like, they're in the apartment. Yeah. And Tom is, like, sort of... I don't know. He's not, like, giving up, but, like... I don't know. It's, whatever happens in, in Craig's secret apartment is when he's, like... When, when Gina's, like, you know what? I'm gonna go home. Mm-hmm. Like, you've... This is one... This is now the line that has been crossed. I'm going to leave now. And that's weird. Yeah, out of all the... I don't know. The, like, leading up to that, I guess out of all the places, even when he goes to... Well, when they go to the Chinese place and he goes up into the second floor because he thinks his brother is up there. Yeah. And he's all, like, bloodied because someone is dead. Yeah, he, he slips on the blood of, of another and victim she's like who not he even, Craig might have killed. And she's like, what's going on? What's going on? And he's like, oh, I just thought my brother was up there. And she's like, okay, all right. But she's not really questioning, like, no, really. What the fuck's going on? Like, Yeah, like, well, why are you more concerned about your brother than you are about, like, continuing this date Yeah. type of a thing? Like, they don't get to have actual conversations with each other. And obviously the whole thing is built on lies because Tom well, pretends I mean, to she, be his she brother. She eventually says that. She's like, have you told me? Like, She's like, well, near the end. She's like, I don't even know you, even though I spent like 24 hours with you at this point. Yeah, there's not much reason to want to know him based off of the things that have happened other than convenience and movie. It, it's It's unfortunate. I think the one thing where, like, her her Meryl Streep defending your life demeanor is charming or interesting at all is when they go to Club Voltaire and they see that Gore, the band, is War, playing. Yeah. yeah. And she's into it. Like, yeah, one thing that like, she would be is like, yeah, this is kind of fun. This is neat. Like, I almost got beat up in the, the mosh pit yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Like, that's, you know, that's the charming type of teehee that I wanted to see more of. Not like, oh, man, we almost got murdered by these people. All right, on to the next part. I don't like that part. I don't that mm-hmm. that's taking the character trait a bit too far. Um, then she becomes one-dimensional. There's other parts that just really the pacing is is odd in the beginning. It's really just a bunch of like scenes or half jokes that don't go anywhere. I think that's like you've they're got, making like, graduate well, references I mean, at the beginning and so Yeah, like you've got even the whole Fisher Stevens character. Oh my God. So in the beginning... <laughs> and nothing against Fisher Stevens no. either. Like he, he did what he could with this character. He but... was like the kid in... See, that's why I'm saying yeah. like he's the, li- he's the $2 he's kid the $2 from, kid from Better, Off, Better Dead. Off Dead. So that's why I'm thinking like they're just taking all these like random scenes or characters from other 80s movies and making it into this movie. Yeah, except taking away a lot of the appeal. Yeah. Of those things. So, because he's he's a psychopath. Like Dwight, the flower delivery guy, gets stiff 
on a tip from Craig. Well, Craig is a real Craig is a total fucking Craig. asshole. Craig is a douche. And he remains a douche at the end as well. I want mm-hmm. to talk about that when we get there. But then, like, Dwight, it feels stiffed. And he's, like, pissed off. He backs his truck up into the limo that was rented for the evening. And then, like, hit and runs. But then he just stops and waits in the neighborhood waiting for... Craig's car, which apparently he knows what car he drives, even though it should have been parked in the garage already. Yeah, that's where. And then I starts was stalking like and knew. like following them on the highway and like trying like road rage them off the road, but then he yeah, gets bodied. He gets, yeah, he unfortunate things keep on happening to Dwight. Yeah, almost like kids. a Biff Tannen type of a not, but without manure. What you know, like he's trying to be the bully, and then he gets bullied by the circumstances. Yeah, and then it's just when Tom and Gina leave the gas station, and that's where the the detective gets killed. Yeah, (laughs) there's a detective who traced them to the restaurant and, you know, saw the car, was looking for the evidence. Yeah, he's looking for that specific car. It's a 1959 DeSoto fire sweep that's like very it's a really nice rare car car. yeah Um, and but yeah like this detective sees tom putting gas in the car and then is going to arrest him but then they kind of have like a little scuffle and that's when tom opens the trunk like he remember how the trunk gets opened well because when he closes the trunk opens when they're like I think when he opens it, that's when he sees that de- they both see there's a dead body in it. The yeah, detective and him. Oh, because the detective wanted him to open the trunk to see yeah. if the evidence was in there. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. the evidence was the dead body. <laughs> yeah, there, there was the dead body there. And it was like this guy who was carrying... It was a dead, like, mobster guy who's carrying, like, a Tommy gun or something. Right. <laughs> and just laying there and... Tom get like freaks out, closes like slams down the trunk, and then that puts off the dead guy's gun, shooting the detective dead. Yes. And Tom is now freaked out and just like puts his dead body in the trunk now. Yeah. This is all while Gina is just going into the bathroom at yeah. the gas station, so she doesn't see anything. Yeah, she doesn't know what's up yet. And then, you know, they hightail high out of there. But then Fisher Stevens, Dwight, his flower truck is getting towed. Is being towed at this gas station and then he sees the detective's bloody hat. Picks, and that's when the cops come. Yeah, the cops because come. Because the detective had called for backup. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, then they think he is Tom slash Craig. <laughs> who killed the detective? Who would, for some reason, still be sitting there with the hat in his hands? Um, it, but they, you don't see him get released because, I mean, he comes back. Dwight, his character, like. I think they have a conversation oh, at some do. point to say, like, yeah, this Dwight guy, he checks out. Oh he yeah, never he checks had, out. He never had any prior uh, communication with McHugh. It really was just a delivery thing. A flower delivery. But like, guy. Dwight yeah. also confuses Tom and Craig, even though he was inches away from Craig's face complaining about the tip. Mm-hmm. 
and Tom clearly looks much, much different. So, like, everyone is confusing Tom for Craig. And I think that's, like, potentially one of the funnier things in the movie if they would have kept referencing it. But it was just that one little comment, like, halfway through where Ethan Hawke's like, I don't even look like him. Right. Like, yes, thank you. Fucking finally validation from this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Took too long. So, long story short, what they're looking for is, like, there's a vase that was stolen from Mr. Liu. And there's something inside the vase that we learn about. I thought for sure when they started saying, like, when, when, when Tom was having the conversation with the janitor about look in the pot. Because mm-hmm. when he slips on the blood in the club, he his back hits the wall into a blood-stained writing of a kanji that says look in the pot. And so he it's finds like this random janitor. It's like perfectly written. Perfectly perfectly it's emblazoned not, it's on his It's not shirt like now. a bloody smeared... Even though he put a blazer on top of it yeah. again afterwards, it's still perfectly formed and dried. <laughs> and he finds this one person who, who's a janitor who's speaking in Mandarin or Cantonese, I'm not sure which, and he follows yeah. him because he is speaking a foreign language and be like, hey, translate this for me. Yeah. And so and there's this whole conversation. Look in the pot. Look in the pot. And so like my first thought was, oh, it's going to be that dog clock that they keep cutting back to. Oh, yeah. Because they keep cutting back to this dog clock of the schnauzer that is part of the dog show. They have an alarm clock that every hour it barks. And, and like his light, eyes glow red for up. some reason. Yeah, it's kind so of I like thought freakish. this has to be a device if they keep focusing on it so much. No. It's like you're going to smash the clock and there's going to be something in there. But no, Ethan Hawke's character even smashes the clock when he comes home and there's nothing in there. So, uh. Yeah, another dumb thing that he kept on doing is like every time he would stop to use the phone, he would leave a message on his parents' answering machine yes like giving basically all of the information yeah like i'm gonna be here he's he's leaving it for craig just in case craig comes back yeah but he has no idea that the cops have come to ransack the house he even he even said hey i accidentally killed a guy and he's in the trunk now what do i do yeah like why would you say that I know. Well, I mean, he's he's a, I don't know, he's a high school graduate at this point. He's about to go to Yale for business like school is 19, what, they've, what they've said. 18. So. Yeah, 18 but probably. It's, it's all dumb. And, like, the cops are totally ransacking the place. They're breaking windows on purpose for no reason at all. Uh, just to f- try to find this evidence in, in the McHugh's house. And what's also yeah. really dumb is at some point, Craig comes back to the house he goes upstairs and looks through the telescope, and that's when he discovers that the house is being staked out by two people in, in a marked van. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't see all the ransacked shit when he walked in the house? Yeah, their house was, like, wrecked. And they do, they do answer this, because I was like, don't you need a warrant? But then, like, five minutes later, someone comes in and says, here's the warrant for... Yeah, while they're actively trashing the place. Yeah, but, um... But it's it's also, it also makes sense later on, because we learned that the cops are are corrupt anyway, but... Yeah, like, they're, they're doing all this within less than 24 hours. Yeah, all it's all of this it's all, like staking, staking out and searching, like all. But 
Yeah, I don't know why. Whatever. Well, he's a dangerous person who's affiliated with the mafia, and also the cops who are in charge of the investigation are also but implicated you, in this whole okay, thing. Okay, but so wouldn't they're trying they to be like the evidence before it gets discovered? But wouldn't they be staking out the parents' place like days in ahead? Like, wouldn't wouldn't they know, or they just never knew? And now they know. <laughs> yeah, maybe now they know that the vase was was taken. Um, okay. And they they don't know where McHugh is, and now they're you know they're trying to find because him. But yeah, like uh, once we they find made any sort of connection, they should have definitely been staking it out. Yeah. But why was Mister Lou's restaurant not like staked out at all times too? Yeah, but we find out when Tom and Gina go to his brother's place that he never really was in California. He's been Correct. hiding out there, wherever this town is. And he's been rerouting his phone number, so whenever he calls the house, it's from a Californian number. Yeah. That's what they find out, going through the trash. And, yeah, but we do, he does, when they do end up at the Chinese place, we are confronted by... James Liu, B.D. Wong, who is the boss. <laughs> yeah, B.D. Wong is like the head of this whole operation on the, the mafia side of yeah. things. And honestly, I think even though he's not credited anywhere near first, I think he has a bigger role than Craig. Yeah, in Craig's this movie overall. barely in it. Uh, partly by design, I think, is that Craig is not in it all that much. But B.D. Wong gets to eat up the scenes. That's he was my favorite character to watch. Um, Mr. Liu was my favorite character to watch the entire time because um, he just you know he just gets to play a, a smiling a smiling villain the whole time. So yeah, they bring a whole bunch of food to them and like you know try to meanwhile yeah, the tabs on him and, and and Tom is like trying to explain hey I think this is all malicious and Gina's like no look at all this food and they're being so nice right, and they're like yeah. they're saying our money's not welcome here. And then Mr. Lou eventually shows his true self. Um, and then they use like this birthday pin thing that he got at the club that when, yeah, he you, when you smack it, pressing it, it, it says it, it plays happy, happy birthday. birthday to you. And so they use that as a distraction to say, hey, look, it's Mr. Lou's birthday. And so you see like I mean, this that was the fu- another funny part, I guess. Yeah, seeing like the parade of people coming out from the kitchen. <laughs> they're like, celebrate. oh, it's a birthday, a birthday, a birthday. And then they're singing happy birthday to him, but... While that's all that, all of that is happening, Gina and Tom skip out, and that's when Gina's like starting to be like, "Hey, let me out of the car right now! I don't understand yeah. what the hell's going on." And Tom but tells then, her the truth, and she's like, "Okay." No, she does eventually leave, but when she but it's does, not until after she's like, "You know, I have a retail trick where we can find Craig's address. So let's call this number and find his address." Yeah, it was after that where she eventually just leaves but she's like in the middle of nowhere it looks like she's like on a rail yard or something and that's but that's when james lou sees her and take um yeah because they're pulling up to craig's apartment as well right because they they all definitely think that tom is craig because they've never seen craig yeah they've never seen craig and james is like Sure. Yeah. Like, it's like, like yeah, yeah. Of course, your you're, evil twin. It's your evil twin because you have his clothes, you have his wallet, you have his car, you have everything of his. Yeah. So, 
Gina gets kidnapped, and, and Mr. Liu basically gives an ultimatum that says, you have until 2 a.m. to return the vase for the girl. So, there's a little bit of minor detective work where he finds out what the hell he's actually trying to do. He makes the connection and learns that there's actually an audio tape that's inside the vase that is what he was after all along. The audio tape was lost in the car. It's not in the vase because Craig still has the vase. He plays the tape, learns that the two detectives who are after the, them all as well, Sharpie and Donnie? Con- Donnie? Oh, Al Condon. Al Condon was the one that died, right? Yeah, Detective Condon Doheny. is the one who died. Do- Doheny. Doheny, yeah. Like, it's it's spelled D-O-H-N-E-Y, so it's tough to... Doheny. Learn. That's not a very common name. Um, they, they, they are also wrapped up in it. They are also corrupt cops, as was Condon, the detective who was shot. Mm. So he learns this, and he then uses the flower delivery van mm-hmm. that he now has because he was run off... God damn it. Tom has run off the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom has run off the highway again. And confronted by Dwight again. Dwight flips over the fucking edge onto the train tracks, gets hit by a train like a fucking cartoon and lives. But now Tom has the flower delivery truck. Fuck this. (laughs) This movie, like, I don't know. Like, it's, it's, it's too over the top sometimes. And I, I don't know. Um, anyway, he uses the flower delivery truck to infiltrate the Lou compound, but instead of just walking in the door as a flower delivery guy, he decides to actually, like, climb up inside the fucking side of the house just so he could step into a tub once he gets in there and have his shoes squish for a a (laughs) extra joke that doesn't land. And, yeah, everyone's, you know, big old confrontation at the end where Craig thinks it's about the vase and it's not about the vase, it's about the tape. And the cops are there who are also corrupt and then, like, man- mayhem ensues and you got a shootout and all this kind of shit. Yeah, and Craig thinks he saves the day somehow. <laughs> and Craig is still such a fucking douche because he's like, why can't you thank me for saving your life and all this other shit? And then, yeah, he... Craig just tells Tom and Gina, like, when you guys are old and gray, you're going to tell your grandkids about this night. Like, I gave you a memorable night. You should be thankful or something. Yeah, you should be thankful for me for giving you this opportunity and all this kind of crap. And, like, instead of saying, like, yes, Tom punches him once. Yeah, Tom. But aside from that... It, you know, it's more like, oh, tee Yeah, it's the and then, first like, time the that Tom, like, stood up to his brother. But at the end, he's like, oh, that that Craig. Like, no. And, and then the end of it is, like, the, the parents calling the answering machine while the house is still completely wrecked and ruined. Saying, saying that Napoleon won best in show, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, you know, Craig's like, don't tell mom and dad. Like, he's saying all this I mean, bullshit. They're gonna Don't s- mom and dad. And like, yeah. oh, you, Craig. But, like, they're going to fucking see it. Yeah, they're going to... They're. This is, like, also kind of, like, weird science or something. But they're going to... The parents are going to come back and see this ransacked home and be pissed off at Tom. But... It, so, it, their date... So, Gina and Tom, like, their date ends. Tom drops Gina off... And then they have this little thing about something like when Gina first meets Tom, when he picks her up in the beginning of the day, 
she asks him like three questions just to be like, hey, I need to know a little bit more about you before I go on this date with you. And he now does that to her. <laughs> yeah, basically he's like, no, I can't let this date end until you answer three questions. Yeah, and then she just opens the door and they start like making out and it's like the end of the movie. There's like, there's clearly potential here. I think one of the things that I had a big problem with is like, this is meant to be a comedy. There's indications early on. I think if you go to a video store in the day, it was in the comedy section. But there are no goddamn jokes. They don't try to punch up the dialogue with anything funny or humorous. It's all about the situations and the fact that Dwight Fisher Stevens' character gets fucking batted around like a goddamn... Yeah, which, I mean, you see in, like, almost any 80s movie. And it's just, like, so much of the stuff, like, I'm fine with unbelievability. You know, like, all of the different events that happen, like, I don't know, like, that's minor. But you need to give us more. There needs to be, like, actual intrigue. There needs to be actual action. There needs to be humor or something that happens here it's just a bunch of padding for a short movie yeah it's it's like i didn't even know what i was watching even though i understood what was happening mm-hmm. um yeah I, but i was like what is this the entire time it's it's unfortunate um, I guess we're not the only ones to think this way though because it did not come close to making its budget back Making no. like $6 million off of a $10 million budget, so it did flop pretty big. Or maybe it was just such a confusing title and people wanted a, a board game adaptation, and that might have been better. Or they probably thought this was like a rom-com, the people, because it has date in the movie. I It should have been. I wish there was more like romantic aspects I, yeah, to it I'm or something. Cool like with a rom-com. Like, th- the thing is, like, there's... It's not that there's no chemistry between Ethan Hawke and Terry Polo. It's that they didn't get a chance to have any, ever. They never had, like, moments alone where they could actually bond and, like, build any sort of rapport with each other or anything. It's just, okay, now we gotta leave this place. All right, now we gotta leave this place. Okay, we're gonna go here. I'm gonna look for my brother. You stay here. Uh Like, they're barely together long enough for them to build any sort of yeah, actual to, relationship in the first place. Yeah, to get to know each Well, I mean, she says that. She's like, I don't even know you, but yeah. I've spent, like, the whole day with you. Yeah, she's literally just there because they needed a device to have him run around all these different places. That's that's the only purpose she serves. Um, it's, it's sad. Uh, no awards to speak of either, so we could probably just go into cast and crew unless you want to mention anything else. Uh, I mean, do you want to talk about the music? I'm not gonna talk about it. I don't remember much of it. I know there were a couple, like, pop songs in in there. It had a lot of in excess in it. Yeah. And there was, like, Seal. There's a point in the movie... Where the brother is singing Funky Cole Medina. Yes. In the car. (laughs) It's a lot of contemporary music for the time, of course. And 
obviously, yeah, they go and see Guar, so there's some Guar on this. But it was just, there's at least two or three in excess songs on here, which I thought was interesting. That must have been like a decent portion of the budget to license some of these songs, I guess. Yeah. Because um, they're like big, they're like Suicide Blonde and then Disappear were like the two main songs that were played throughout the movie, from what I remember. And it just doesn't flow well. I don't know. None, none of the music like really helps to set the scenes. Probably because we're just so confused from what happened before. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, we'll talk about cast and crew really quickly here. We got Jonathan Wax as the director. He's Spirit nominated and Sundance winner for his previous film, Powwow Highway. Before that, he had won a Student Academy Award for his 1980 short film, Crossroads slash South Africa. Um, aside from this, he didn't do a whole lot of feature directing. He did do Ed and His Dead Mother, which I'm not too familiar with, but I know it exists. Uh, Parker Bennett and Terry Runte, Runte? I'm not sure how to pronounce it, unfortunately. Uh, they collaborated on, on all of the things you know, together. Uh, most notably, Super Mario Brothers, the first movie, 1993's Super Mario Brothers was also theirs. So... That's about it for them, honestly, aside from a couple little TV things. Um, Ethan Hawke we've talked about when we covered White Fang. Terry Polo is Gina Matthews. She's in 1991's Born to Ride. She did a lot of TV work on TV 101, Northern Exposure, a little bit of a stint on Felicity, on Sports Night, The West Wing, and The Fosters, which is a show that I don't think I've ever heard of, but had like... 100 episodes? I just, I remember, yeah, I remember seeing commercials for the Fosters. Was that like a, like a ABC family show or something? Yeah, it was kind of like a Seventh Heaven situation where she's, she's fostering a bunch of kids. Well, it lasted a long ass time. I I just remember always, like, whatever show I would watch, I would, the next show after it was the Fosters. Hmm. Yeah, I must have avoided all or that before stuff it. Then. I just remember seeing commer- commercials for the Fosters all the time. But um, then on the in movie Felicity, side. she was she had uh, like this affair with uh, Scott Speedman's character in um, like season two. She was like, well, yeah, <laughs> she was like the caterer. I think I I just remember she was a caterer, and then they had like this small little affair for like it lasted like five episodes or some shit sports night she was the uh she was being chased by josh charles's character dan rydell and she eventually relented and and then he learned that she was already married so uh don't know about west wing have not watched west wing uh on the movie side she was most notably in the meet the parents series but not a whole lot other than that of whatever uh, Craig McHugh was played by Brian McNamara. He is a Golden Globe nominated actor for Billion Billionaire Boys Club, something from the '80s that I'm not familiar with. Uh, he got a start on like The Flamingo Kid, Short Circuit, Caddyshack 2, and also he was on the TV show Army Wives, which also lasted for a very long time. Fisher Stevens, who played Dwight, is in 1991's Marrying Man. He's an Oscar winner for Best Documentary Feature for The Cove. Uh, he's Emmy nominated for American, uh, all for producing slash direct, I think just producing actually is what he's nominated for. 
Emmy nominated for American Masters, Racing Extinction, Bright Lights, and Tiger King. He helped produce that big phenomenon. On the acting side, he was also in Flamingo Kid, also in Short Circuit, also in Super Mario Brothers, Hackers, Early Edition, Grand Budapest Hotel, Blacklist, and Succession. He does continue to direct uh, as well. B.D. Wong we talked about when we were covering Father of the Bride, but again, I think this is a even better role than than that. Well, I think he's better in Father of Bride. Huh? He didn't get to do as much. He got uh, overshadowed by funny. Martin Short. He, but he's it's, still it's funny. It's a good role. What I appreciate about B.D. Wong is that he's able to yeah, he's, he can he's do, able to do, like, anything, and he gets the chance to do anything. And he's good at anything he does. Yeah, but it's very rare for a lot of these actors to even get that chance. Because if we look at, like, Victor Wong, who was the janitor, he's in Big Trouble in Little China, Golden Child, Last Emperor, Three Ninjas series is the grandpa, and also in Tremors. Mm-hmm. James Hong is the fortune teller with a very small scene. He's, you know, the token Asian in a lot of these projects. Uh, 1991, he was in Perfect Weapon, Crime Lords, Missing Pieces, Goodbye Paradise, episode of Seinfeld that is very famous. Yes. Um, He's been acting since the 1950s, but in a lot of these things, like New Adventures of Charlie Chan, Kung Fu, Blade Runner, Big Trouble in Little China, Golden Child, Mulan, Kung Fu Panda. Uh, And then, you know, he was also in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Um, But yeah, B.D. Wong is, you know was able to carve out this identity where he was able to find all kinds of different parts, which is interesting. Um, a couple other people to quickly mention here. We got Tony Rosado, who played Detective Sharpie. He was a writer for SCTV and also SNL, as well as a cast member for both of those shows. One of just three people to, to do that. Uh, he was on Hearts of Fire, Switching Channels, The Night Heat TV show. He is also the voice of Luigi on the adventures of Super Mario Bros. 3 and Super Mario World cartoons. So another Super Mario Bros. connection in this whole cast, oddly enough. And then we have Don S. Davis, who played Donnie, Don, Donnie, Donnie. Doheny. 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 Why is it, like, hard? I'm just messing around. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, in 1991, he's in a, a few things. Blood River, Omen 4, The Awakening, Chain Dance, and also the TV show Broken Badges, which I think we talked about way back in the day. Uh, he was also in Twin Peaks around this time as well. Uh, his other big notable role was Stargate SG-1, where he was on that for hundreds of episodes. So if you see his, you know, he's, he's the, the gruff military bald guy in Stargate SG-1 and also Twin Peaks. So that's the cast and crew. We can move on to true crime and pop culture. Okay, so this movie was released on August 16th, 1991, which was a Friday and I did not see any other movies that were that we've covered that were released on this day. Yeah, oddly, like uh, something this that's like new. A, yeah, but I do have a crime, and it is about the death of the one of the writers, Terry Runte. So I have. A couple of articles. I couldn't find a whole lot, but one of them is from the Chicago Tribune that came out on October 30th, 1994, 
and it's titled Man Admits Killing Missing Chicago Screenwriter in Jamaica. So the screenwriter, Terry Runte, he left to go to the Caribbean, to Jamaica, for a couple of weeks to research a new film. He was looking to write an, a rom-com that was going to be set in Jamaica. But dumped in his body was allegedly dumped into shark infested waters in in Jamaica. This other article that I found that was it's called upi.com and it's like a website for Jamaican news or Caribbean news, I guess. Huh. And it's called Jamaican to hang for US man's death. I was huh. like, "Oh shit." So his time of death is supposedly October 17th, 1994. His body was never found. And according to this article, it's a Jamaican man. He was a tailor who's going to be sentenced to be hanged for the 1994 killing of a Chicago screenwriter, Terry Runty, the Caribbean news agency said that Runty disappeared on October 17, 1994 while researching for a script in Jamaica. His body was never found, was presumed to have been dumped in shark-infested waters, and so an 11-member jury found 37-year-old Elvis Martin guilty of killing Runty after 37 minutes of deliberation. The man had been sentenced to hang for the killing, Kathleen Runty, who is Terry's mother, said following the trial that she pitied Martin's mother, telling Elvis, Elvis's mother, that her son would not wish for vengeance. She said Runty's family had suffered greatly since her son's death. He does not even have a grave site where we can honor him, according to the mother. This is like a quote from her. And a chief prosecution witness was Ladrick Scott, who was also charged in the killing, but he got off for, I think he was sentenced for manslaughter, but not for murder. He testified that Martin beat Runty with a bamboo stick, robbed him, tied his body to a concrete column, and threw it into shark-infested waters off of Jamaica's eastern coast. Runty's clothing was found tied to a concrete column near a point called Shark's Rock. Martin said that in his testimony that Runty had faked his own death and had left Jamaica by boat. He said the blood that was found at the scene was that of a chicken, but the government, the forensic experts said that the blood was from a human, although they couldn't uh, couldn't positively positively identify it as belonging to Runty. And then I saw in 1999 that Elvis Martin filed an appeal. I will share this on the web- website. I read the entire appeal and it's only seven pages long. But he was denied. Okay. But I haven't seen anything after that, so I have no idea if this guy is the Elvis, the guy who allegedly killed Runty, is still like alive or not, or was actually 
sentenced to death. It's fascinating. So there's like really no motive except for possibly a robbery. Yeah. In the appeal, it does sound like that. Um, Runty was, you know, he was in Jamaica and he was hanging out with a couple of people, like a, two female friends, and he dropped as he was dropping them off to wherever they were staying these two guys confronted runty like right after he dropped off these ladies okay and it just seems like they were gonna rob him beat him right yeah that's his body was never found so that's the sad part about this whole thing but I don't know how to transition over, but no. to move on, I, because I haven't talked about music in a while besides, you know, soundtracks for things. And these are all new releases um, that were on the Billboard Hot 100 charts as of August 17, 1991. So there were a lot of new releases this week, but I'm only going to talk about the songs that I've never even heard of. Because there was like 10 songs. I'm going to talk about six. But the first song that was on the Billboard Hot 100 debut release that was coming in at number 80 is the song I'm Not Your Puppet by the rapper High C. Have you heard of him or this song? I don't think so. Well, I was listening to it, and I i don't think I've ever heard this song, but I like it. <laughs> and then I was listening to a couple other his songs, and they're all really good. I see. Was, uh, he, okay. Is this the biggest hit of, of his career? He's had a couple. So, Hi C, he is... A rapper from Compton, he collaborated with DJ Quick and Second to None. And this debut single, I'm Not Your Puppet, is the first single for his first album called Scanless that was released on December 10th, 1991. And the album, it peaked at 152 on the Billboard 200. And then at number 53 on the top R&B albums. Okay. But it, I'm Not Your Puppet was the first single. And it only peaked at like 35 on the charts. But I guess his biggest hit from this album is called Sitting in the Park. That doesn't sound familiar either. That Sitting in the Park peaked at number 21 on the Hot Rap Songs in 1991. The next new single, or yeah, new single that debuted this weekend at number 84 on the Billboard chart is the song called Power Windows by Billy Falcon. And Billy Falcon, I, I don't know if you're listening to the music with me. A because... little bit, yeah. <laughs> But this song, Power Windows, is like about a car with power windows and a power engine and whatever. <laughs> I was just laughing at the lyrics. But Billy Falcon, I guess he became 
well known because he worked with John Bon Jovi and John Bon Jovi got him signed a record deal and it sounded like he wanted to be in that vein but yeah yeah but Billy so okay this is (laughs) I don't even so this he released the song Power Windows it's on his album called Pretty Blue World and the only single of his to ever chart was this song Power Windows which was in the top 40 for a few weeks and I noticed that he's also done he's done a lot of soundtrack work he he was featured in the movie Country Strong with you know Gwyneth Paltrow do you remember that movie no you don't remember that movie I've never seen it I just remember that movie okay but he did music for that and he performed along with Faith Hill on that soundtrack but he's also done music He's worked along with Stevie Nicks. He's done a lot of songs with Bon Jovi and Meatloaf. So yeah, he's... so he's just like one of those guys that has. He's more of like a songwriter than really a singer. Yeah, he just doesn't uh, can never break through. Yeah, so but... he just. But even though Bon Jovi was like, "Here, get a record deal." Yeah. And he only released, like, this one... He's released, like, 15 albums, though. And the last one is in nineteen in 2018. But he's only had one major hit, and it's this song called Power Windows that was released on August 17th, 1991. The next debut single on the, board, the Billboard chart was coming in at number... 89 is a song called This Beat Is Hot by BG the Prince of Rap. Have you heard of this guy? No. Okay. I don't think so. When I was listening to the song, I I I recognized the song. Okay. I don't know if you were listening with me. That one does I don't remember hearing. Cuz the, like, the power windows is like all, all I could hear is like power, 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 like every other word, because yeah. he's like going through all the features of the car. Of the car. <laughs> it sounded like a, like a joke just... song from Grand Theft Auto oh, yeah. game or something. But no, I don't remember hearing this one. I just kind of probably zone out or focus on the dog or something. Oh, okay. Uh, so, because it had like samples of like Flavor Flav in the background okay. in this song. Um, so... BG, the Prince of Rap, he was an American rapper and singer, and he was mostly successful in Germany, where he lived, but he's from here in the States. But his biggest hit was this song, this song, The Beat is Hot, and it reached number one on the U.S. Hot Dance Music Club Party charts. And the single made it to number 72 on the Billboard Hot 100, number 54 on the U.S. Billboard Hot Black Singles chart, and 
he this single was on his first album called The Power of Rhythm, which he had another major hit that came out this year in 1991 called Take Control the Party, and that reached number two on the dance chart in 1992. The next debut single coming in on the Billboard Hot 100 chart at number 90 is a song called Face the Music by a band called RTZ. Okay. I don't know. I'm just laughing at all this. RTZ is, they're a rock group and it had two guys from the band Boston in it. Okay. It's not a super group. I guess like they, Boston split split, and these two guys made this band called RTZ and this is their debut single slash debut album. The album is called Return to Zero. RTZ. Okay. And this song did not do well, neither did this album, because I couldn't see too much about it. It quickly returned to zero. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, it. I guess it was just like a one-time thing on the Hot 100 list. There was a, <laughs> a video. The, the video is whatever. I don't even... <laughs> the video for Power Windows is also funny. Debut single on the Billboard 100 list coming in at number 92 was the song When Love Cries by Donna Summer. And, I mean, Donna Summer is known for being the queen of disco. This single was released on her 15th studio album. Yes. Called Mistaken Identity. Oh, perfect for the scene. Mm-hmm. Close, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, this album did not... It was a commercial failure. But the song reached number 97 on the top R&B hip-hop charts, and then it entered in to the Billboard Hot 100 at number 77. But unfortunately, this album didn't do so well. But I mean, the song isn't that bad. It's just not disco-y. Sure. Nobody was trying to do disco. It was very no, because it's just like you know. I mean, what we saw with the five heartbeats or whatever. It's like when you were famous in like the seventies, you gotta like go with the flow with the times. So this was like a very funky. Yeah, this was more like an easy listening, but also like dancey easy listening type song. Like a CC Peniston almost or something like that. Right. I mean she did make three albums after that. And, you know, she unfortunately died in two thousand twelve. Yeah. The last song that I'm going to talk about is a song called After the Summer's Gone. This came out on the Billboard chart at number 93 by a group called PC Quest, and I swear I've talked about them before. 
because I remember looking them up, but I don't remember the song at all. But PC Quest was a pop group in the 90s from Oklahoma, and they were managed by the same manager and same write, like music lyricists for Tiffany. Okay. And it's not a boy band because there's one girl in this group. So it's like three boys and a girl in this group. And it's, you know, like teen love songs. Right, yeah. It's still a teen band. Yeah. And After the Summer's Gone was their first hit on their first album called Pete. It's their self-titled album. And the album had two hits, including this one, After the Summer's Gone, which peaked at number 41 on the Billboard charts. And then there was Can I Call You My Girl, which peaked at number 58. And, you know, most of the songs were written by the same two guys, Tim James and Stephen McClintock. And they are also the songwriters for Tiffany. So, yeah. They they released another album in 1992 called Directions, and then that was it for them, for PC Quest. That did not work out either. But one of the singers, Chad Petrie, I think, he is now a guitarist, and he was in the band Shiny Toy Guns. I don't know if you know who they are. I don't think so. You might have asked me last time, too. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But they just had, like, one hit that came out in, like, 2012 that I remember. Okay. And that's all I got. Okay. So we can move on to rankings and ratings. Where on your one to five star scale are you going to put Mystery Date? I'm going to give this movie a one. Okay. (laughs) You said I was going to be surprised at your ranking. You said it was going to blow my mind. No. No. I was just like, I'm pretty, I think you're going to be surprised by what I say, maybe. I don't know. I don't think so, because I think we're on the same page on this one. On my zero to four star scale, I'm also going to say it's a one, which I think might be a little bit high. Um, (laughs) This is... I was I was looking forward to this. I thought it would be like a nice little palate cleanser type of I mean not you know, five heartbeats wasn't bad at all. Like I I enjoyed no, that. I mean like we have watched some crap recently and we have a little bit more crap to go still <laughs> for sure. So I'm like, Oh, this could be like a little fun thing. Uh no. We it's haven't not really a fun been thing. watching crap because we had like soap dish and switch and I don't hate That's true. I don't know. I, feel I like think with True Identity and then like... We've had underwhelming movies. We've had a couple underwhelming movies. Well, I think the movies that we've been watching to prepare for another movie has That's really been... Too. Been really like bumming me out. Yeah. Yeah. So like it's also a palate cleanser for next week's movie as we're prepped for that. But um, no, it was, it was just bad. It was just... I, would, I don't know bad pacing from the start and then when it actually like got to decent pacing it just you know, had nothing else going on then this movie reminds me of another see this movie just reminds me of like 10 other movies and i want it to be like those movies sort of like true identity was like 10 different movies all in one it's it also reminded me of it. like license to drive did you ever see that oh no. <sighs> like every 
I know. <laughs> but like it should be in that same vein. It looks like it should be in the same type of like class. And it's it's poo. It is poo. <laughs> it is not a good one. Um, every movie is worth watching once. Would you watch it again? No. No. Absolutely not. No. Like it's not even like fun to make fun of. It's just. I like Ethan Hawke, but like. He's uh, not good in this. He's fine in it. Um, if you out there want to watch Mystery Date as of this recording in February 2024, it's only available on Tubi, Pluto, Roku Channel, Hoopla. No digital rental, but it is on VHS and DVD. As always, check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the fullest of movies, long show notes, and more. Next week, we've hit episode 150, and we've been prepping by watching all the Star Trek movies. We're watching Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. That's on Max Digital Rental, VHS, and DVD. We will see you then. Thanks. Thank you.